First Responder Friday is a production of Conjo Studios and is sponsored by PTSD 911 Movie. Learn more at PTSD911Movie.com. Welcome to First Responder Friday. My name is Conrad Weaver. I'm so glad you decided to join us today for this special broadcast of First Responder Friday podcast. We have a very special guest I'll introduce in just a minute. But first, if you are a fan of this show and this program, I encourage you to support us by going over to our PTSD 911 website and checking out our page for the documentary, make a tax deductible contribution to the film. That would be awesome if you can do that to help us out as we produce this documentary of of helping, of, of telling the story of first responders who dealing with the traumas of their of their job. Well, today we have a very special guest joining us all the way from New Jersey. Brad Wadby is a detective in New Jersey, and he is here to share his story and some of the things he's doing uh, in resiliency training and other things uh, in New Jersey. Brad, welcome to First Responder Friday. Thank you very much, Conrad, for having me. I appreciate it. So tell me, how long have you been in law enforcement? Been in law enforcement approximately 13 years. Yeah, and so what got you into law enforcement? Well, uh, ever since I was a little kid, uh, I've always uh, had a fascination with uh, with law enforcement and first responders. I always looked up to them. Yeah, you know, I looked at them as uh, as my heroes growing up. And uh, so, as a little kid, I would always. Uh, my father was friends with all the cops in town, and uh, you know, I became very close uh, with them as well. And uh, I looked up to them. So that's really how it got started. And then, um, as my life progressed, I actually wanted because my father owns a funeral home. So I actually wanted to become a funeral director and then that changed. And I said, like, you know what, let me become a cop again. So and that's how, that's how I ended up here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your story. What was your, your early days of policing like and, and what, what all happened with you down the road? I mean, it was, it, it, my story really begins before I was a cop. Um, I am a graduate of the United States military Academy, um, class of 2004. And, uh, I have a unique story where, uh, I was faced with uh, some adversity while I was there. Um, I ended up getting um, uh, separated from the academy the day before, uh, right around, you know, almost the day before my graduation, mm. my senior year. And um, that was kind of the first traumatic experience that I've had because, you know, I worked so hard for this. It's something that I set my heart and mind on. And, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't come to fruition. So I took that very hard. And um, what I did was I, resorted to drinking, resorted to a lot of, lot of, lot of drinking. And uh, then when my, um, when the rest of my class are going deployed overseas and stuff like that, um, a lot of my classmates didn't come home. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was, I felt guilty about that you now. And that hit me pretty hard as well. And again, I would drink, 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 drink more. And so, you know, I said, you know, if I can't go over, over uh, overseas and bring the fight over there, protect this great country over there. Let me protect the citizens over here and let me go into law enforcement. So that's what I did. And um, again, what do, what do cops like to do? You know, like to drink, right? It's socially acceptable. You know, it's that, uh, that old school uh, mentality where, you know, uh, after, after your tour, you go to the bar, you know, have a couple pints, a couple shots, and uh, you kind of just erase what just happened, right? But unfortunately, it's not the case. You know, all you're doing is just putting those memories back deeper, 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 deeper into your brain, right? And you're not allowing yourself to process that trauma that you just saw and that you endured, right? So 
the first the first uh, couple of years of my um, my law enforcement career, I was doing uh, organized crime investigations, and um, you That's know heavy duty stuff, right? Yeah, you can say you can say that. I mean, you know, up here in uh, in New Jersey, Homer Sopranos, you know, uh, <laughs> so it's it's everywhere. But uh, you know, so I was doing that for a little bit, and then I um, came to the department where I'm at now, and um, I started the, doing some uh, work in the special victims unit. And that's right when uh, I'd say my work started hitting me the most was because I would sit there and I would listen to these little children tell me how their, you know, Uncle Johnny or their father, you know, uh, touched them and sexually assaulted them or or physically abused them. And um, it did nothing but just fuel anger and rage inside of me, right? Because I, I, you look at these children and say, how can someone, how can someone hurt an innocent child like this? What did they do to deserve this? And the answer is nothing. Right. So I would, you know, I would start drinking a lot, you know, based on that. And, um, but it's time I had gotten married and, um, you know, that, that was starting to suffer based upon my drinking. And, um, then I had my first born child and, um, uh, that definitely suffered because I probably, I, I can honestly tell you, I, I maybe one time I woke up in the middle of the night to take care of my son, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, I was just so checked out, and uh, and my my wife knew it, but she thought that I'd be able to uh, overcome it, right? Um, or and she was also too scared and nervous to bring it to my attention mm-hmm. for fear of how I might react, and um, I just kept going, 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 and um, you know, then I get into narcotics. And, uh, you know, being the big guy I am, you know, obviously I was the, uh, I was a breacher, you know, for, for, for the team and I got on a SWAT team doing the same thing. And all that's full of is just testosterone, right. And anger and aggression, right. All I want to do is break things and hurt people on a daily basis. Right. And that's not the way to go through life. You know, I was just, I was just very, very, very angry. And, um, you know, I was in narcotics for approximately two and a half years almost three years. And then, um, and my drinking had substantially increased. I had gotten, um, and it was basically to the point where I, um, I was kicked out of my house by my wife, um, based upon my drinking. Um, and, uh, I was starting to drink every single day. You know, at first it would just be, I would only drink, I'd be a weekend warrior during Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? Then it'd be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? And then, you know, next thing I know, I'm drinking seven days a week, mm-hmm. you know, making stops at the local liquor store to pick up a couple pints of Jameson to drink on my way home to work, mm-hmm. right? Way home from work, rather. And um, my wife gave me an ultimatum. She's like, listen, you got to go to AA, right? I said, all right, I'll go to AA. And I remember I went to my first AA meeting, and that was in, that was on a Monday Monday evening in the late August of 2018. And I walked in there and said, I'm not like these people. Right. And that's the first mistake right there. Once you start saying that, you are those people. Kind of denying, you know? denying the it's truth. Total, right? Totally, totally denying the truth. And um, so, because I wasn't willing to take ownership, I was lying to everyone, including myself. Right. Um, and I thought I could have, I thought I had my life under control, right? But my life was just, you know, total chaos. Isn't that right? the lie that alcoholism teaches you? Oh, totally. 
Totally. You think you have everything under control, but everything is falling apart, right? And usually the last thing to, especially in our line of work, um, the last thing to suffer is going to be a job because you don't want your your teammates, your coworkers to see you struggling or to see you as being weak, right? Because you don't want to let them down, right? So, you know, my my marriage was falling apart. My my personal relationships were falling apart with everyone around me. You know, I was very angry, very short, yelling, screaming, right? Um, but everyone everyone at work was like, oh no, he's fine. I would look angry at work, but they say, oh, that's just Brad being Brad, right? Mm-hmm. You know, no one knew that I was a full-fledged alcoholic, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, I did everything behind the scenes, you know. Because um, you tried to hide that, so when you came to work, you were, you were sober, you were, you were ready. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And then, you know, um, then there was an incident that I had uh, down, in, um, down in Camden, New Jersey. We were on a... Uh, we were taking down a, a case and I ended up getting run over by a, by a vehicle down there. Mm. And that kind of, that also spiked my drinking as well. You know, I got my knee pretty, pretty jammed up. Um, and, uh, you know, basically this, if I wasn't as tall as I am, I would end up going underneath the car and I would have been dragged. Mm. Right. But thank God I was so tall and he hit me underneath my knees and I ended up on top of the car, on the hood of the car. But, um, and then it was that month, basically, that was right around Thanksgiving. And then two days after Christmas is when um, my world crumbled around me. This is in 2018. Um, my wife knew, knew how I had been drinking a lot, knew everything I'd been doing. And, uh, you know, I'm acting out in ways that, that aren't characteristic of me, you know, taking all these chances. And just it's because of, you know, the depression I was having, you know, um, everything in my life was just falling apart. And, um, she walked in, uh, from, from work and said, you know, something, Brad, I want a divorce. And my life just collapsed around me because the first thing I thought of was not being able to see my two children anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, I remember I got very emotional. I left and, uh, I wrote my wife a text saying, Oh, you know, I'm sorry. I love you. You're not going to have to deal with me anymore. And I shut my phones off and I, I was, I wanted to end it that day. Mm. And, um, for some reason, I don't know what it was divine intervention or whatever. You know, now I look at it as being divine intervention because I believe in that stuff now. Um, but I turned my phone on and I saw these mixed text messages from my wife and I called her up and she goes, um, Brad, uh, you know, I can hear her crying. Like, where are you? Where are you? I'm, you know, I'm just driving around. She's like, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. She was like, well, the cops are here. The first words out of my mouth were, you just ruined my career. Hmm. Right. When in fact, she actually saved my life. Cause if it wasn't for her calling the cops on me and basically forcing my hand to get the help that I needed. Right. Who knows where I'd be right now. Hmm. Right. So I give all the credit in the world and I thank her every single day for making that phone call. Back then I was calling every four letter word in the book because of, you know, I thought that uh, she had just, thought you were done. I thought, you I, thought were I was done. done. Absolutely done. You know? And, um, so I go, I go get the help that I needed. And I, you know, ended up, uh, they were going to send me to a rehab facility down in Florida. And, um, 
my chief, God bless him. He's, he's one of the greatest leaders that ever served under. I cannot thank him enough uh, for what he's done for me. Um, he got in contact with, between him, my SWAT commander, and another gentleman um, who, uh, you know, we call him Wally, right? He, uh, he got me into, he made a phone call to Tom Spooner over at Warrior's Heart, right? And got me into uh, the facility at Warrior's Heart, right? And I entered, I entered into that facility on um, New Year's Day of 2019 and embarked on my 42-day journey there. And uh, while there, um, it was, I loved it. It, it. it got me sober, right? But the problem was, I didn't fully let go and that's on me. Right. Because when I got home, you know, I had to go for surgery on my knee from that, from that accident. My wife said, after your surgery, don't come home, just go to your parents' house. Right. And you know, a week later, my house was on the market. My house was sold in July. Right. And I was living in a one bedroom apartment. Right. By July. And, um, and you want to talk about anger and resentment? Oh, I had it, right? Um, I, was, I was just so angry, depressed, everything. And then again, you know, started out to, acting out in ways that weren't characteristic of me. You know, wasn't drinking uh, because I knew that if I drank, my life would, be, my life would seriously be over, right? Um, and I didn't want to take that risk. So I started doing, you know, other, other stupid shit. And... Um, Eventually that caught up to me and that caught up to me in, um, December of 2019 when, um, when a phone call was made to my command staff and they called and they brought me in and, uh, my chief asked me, he goes, uh, you know, come in with my chief, my deputy chief, my SWAT commander and the sergeant from IA and they're like, chief goes, Hey Brad, how you doing? You know, all good, all good, sir. Right? He goes, "Don't lie to me. How the f are you doing?" And I just broke down, and uh, I was just so depressed. I was, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't taking, I wasn't doing anything that made myself happy. I wasn't uh, engaging in the things that I normally would be engaging in. Right? I wasn't going to the gym as much. I wasn't doing, um, you know, hanging out outside as much because I'm, a, I'm an outdoors guy. I love going outdoors, you know, and. Um, so I got, they basically said, we're going to get you all squared away. We're going to, we're going to get you, get you right. Right. Cause we don't want you like this. We need to, we need to, you know, the fix Brad back. We need the old Brad back, you know? So I went to, uh, I got in touch with a gentleman by the name of Bill Mazur, um, who works for Acadia Health and, um, went out to Sierra Tucson out in Arizona mm. and they have a red, white, and blue program out there for cops and first responders and, and, uh, military veterans. And uh, worked with Doc Reynolds out there, Doctor Bill Reynolds, who's a Navy, uh, who's a Navy doc, right? Um, and you know, for lack of a better term, excuse my language, he he unfucked my brain. <laughs> you know, uh, did a lot of EMDR therapy out there um, because I really wasn't because now you know because I was going through a lot of therapists also at the time, right? Too, but therapy only works if you're honest. Right. And I wasn't honest. Right. I was not honest with these therapists. Right. And I was lying to them. I was telling them what they wanted to hear. Right. I wasn't honest to my therapist. I wasn't honest to my sponsor. Right. In AA. Right. I wasn't honest to myself. Right. I was still lying. Right. Um, and then so you were kind of gaming the system. You were... 
I wouldn't say gaming the system, but I was definitely, um, I was just telling people what they wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, um, because I was so concerned about getting back to work because during this time I was, you know, I was in a, uh, I was basically in an administrative job. Right. And I'm not an administrative guy. I'm a street guy. I want to get out there and I want to work. Right. Um, I didn't go to the police academy to do all this stuff just to, you know, sit behind a desk and file papers. Right. I want to put in work. So all I wanted to do was get back into an active squad, right. And get back in the SWAT team. That's all I cared about. Right. See, once I started doing that, right. That's when I started losing sight of everything else that was important in my life. Okay. Because I started putting those things in front of my sobriety and sort of my, in front of my mental health in front of all that other stuff. And I lost those things. Right. So, um, I mean, it was, it was kind of funny. Um, the day when this all happened, right. When I got called in my commander's office, I have a very close friend of mine that I work with. His name, um, who's very, very religious and very, very spiritual. Right. And, uh, as a matter of fact, when I came back from rehab uh, from Texas, he, um, he called me up and said, hey, Brad, can I pray, you know, uh, can I pray for you? And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, dude, I've never had anyone ask me that before. I'm like, of course. And I, and I, and I started crying because I never, I never had someone do that to me. Right. Or do that for me. And we prayed and, um, we've always had a special connection. And then when, uh, everything happened to me in December, right. He reached out to me again. Right. And this is what's pretty freaky. Right. So I get stopped at a meeting and an meeting because I share and I break down in a meeting and this big gentleman goes to me, and goes, you know, some, you need to become a prisoner. Right. What are you talking about? He's like, you know, you know, all that prisoners, right? You're a cop. You tell them when to eat, when to sleep, when to shower, when to work out, when to do everything in their lives. Okay. Cause you control them. Right. You got to become a prisoner, become a prisoner to God. Hmm. And I was like, I was like, wow, that made sense. Hmm. You know, he goes, God's going to tell you when to do everything in your life. Right. He goes, you need to talk. You need to, he said to the guy's name, but you know, the, uh, my coworker's name, you need to go talk to him. Right. So I call him up. I'm like, dude, you'll never guess what happened. He's like, bro, it's so weird because this past weekend I was, I was praying for you. Right. And God came to me and said that if he gives his life up to me, I'll give him a life beyond his wildest dreams. And it'll involve something helping out with cops and veterans. Right. And at that point in time, I didn't know what that meant. Right. So you know, fast forward, I go to, um, I go out to Sierra Tucson and, um, I do the EMDR therapy, which is great. Um, I don't know if you know what that's all about with it. Yeah. Right. So that, that, that really got into the, um, all the trauma that was deep buried in my brain. Right. And I remember there was some very, very, very emotional sessions that I had. And, um, and then I did what was called TMS therapy out there as well. Right. I, mean, I don't know if you know what that is. It's, I've heard it's of in, it, but I'm not sure exactly. What yeah. So basically, you know, for, you know, layman's terms is they, they basically take an MRI brain, an MRI magnet, right. Put it up against your brain and it pulsates magnetic waves across your brain. Right. Which clears new neural pathways for your brain waves to travel through rather than traveling through the, you know, the broken ones or the damaged ones, right? Travels through these new ones. Okay. And that was a game changer for me. Right. I mean, I was walking around the happiest person in the world and I still am to this day. Right. Because 
it, it changed the way my, my brain functions now. Right. And, um, so when I got back from, from the, um, from Sierra Tucson, I went to, uh, I had to do my, you know, intensive outpatient, right. For six to eight weeks. And, uh, during this t- whole time, you know, I've now picked up, I'm going to a meetings every day, working out every day. Right. Um, go, talking to therapists three times a week. Okay. Um, doing what I got to do to get myself right. Right. And, uh, once this is all over, right. It was about beginning of March. I called into my uh, chief's office. He's like, all right, Brad, you know, um, heard a lot of good things about you. They did report from you from the doctor. Right. Um, they're put you back on full duty. Right. And oh, oh, by the way, Monday, you're reporting to South Jersey to go become a master resiliency trainer for the state of New Jersey. Hmm. I'm like, what? Right. So I was like, this is great. Right. This is awesome. Right. So I go down to this program down there and I meet some amazing people down there. Right. And this is basically uh, the New Jersey resiliency program is basically modeled, modeled off of the FBI, um, the FBI program. Right. And uh, the air force program. And, um, it's awesome. And it basically what we do is as a master resiliency trainer, what I do is I teach the curriculum. I teach resiliency to the individual department resiliency officers, and they go ahead and teach it to their respective departments. But God forbid some officer has, is in crisis or something like that. They can reach out to me. They can reach out to uh, cop the cop, which is a crisis hotline, mm-hmm. right. That we have here in New Jersey. And, um, we'll, we'll address that situation and we'll get that, get that individual the help they need. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because as you know, I think today the number was 144 cops who committed suicide as right. a year to date today, yeah. you know, and that's, that's, you know, one is too many, right? I think they could all be preventable, right? It's just a matter of reaching out and raising our hands. And sometimes that's the hardest problem, mm-hmm. right? Because our ego is getting away. Right. Yeah. What would have happened if you hadn't had a chief and command staff who really cared? I probably would be working my father's funeral home. To be honest with you, because um, they they believed in me, they knew who I was, they knew the type of person I am, right? Um, and they cared, right? They, they honestly cared, right? And they're not just administrators; they're leaders, right? They're not just sitting there uh, checking the boxes for stuff. They're actually leading by example to have a vested interest in each and every single person underneath them. Right. And they look out for them. Okay. I mean, if you, if you make a mistake and you mess up and you do something wrong, you're going to have to pay the piper. Right. But if they're going to make it into a, rather than a punishment to a learning experience. Okay. And, um, and that's what needs to happen. The, this whole talk of resiliency and changing the culture and, and, you know, in the first responder realm has to come from the top. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if I'm, if I'm a cop in a department where the chief does not believe in this resiliency program or believe in, you know, mental health and the importance of it and stuff like that, why would I want to go raise my hand? Because I know that I'm going to get blackballed and get fired. Why would I want to do that? Right. So it's, it's imperative that the chiefs, right. And the leadership buy into this, right. Because it's a new, it's a new way of policing. Right. 
Um, you know, because if we can work on cops' mental health and first responders' mental health, right, it will reduce the amount of incidents that could be avoided, right? Because, you know, there's there's cops out there that just, you know, that, that are stressed to the max, right? And their, their minds can only take so much, right? And when they reach that breaking point, they're going to be like a pressure cooker and they're going to explode, yep. right? And you don't want to be on the receiving end of that. Yeah. Right. Because bad and things can happen. The evening news. Exactly. It ends up on every major news channel. Okay. And we right now in, in law enforcement do not need that. Right. Right. So why not nip this in the butt now while we can. Mm-hmm. Right. And explain to kids, or explain to cops rather that, listen, it's okay to raise your hand. It's okay not to be okay. Right. And that's what, and that, that's what I'm doing. Right. Because people look at me, I'm six, five, like 310 pounds, padded up, shaved head, you know, beard, right? They're going to look at me like, nothing's going to bother him. Oh, I was broken. I was broken. So if I could raise my hand and say, listen, I needed help, right? That means everyone in front of me can say that same thing. What would you say to those people who are often the city managers who manage the budget and say, you know what, we can't afford to add one more program to the police work? No, it's it, it, it needs to happen. It needs to happen because you are playing not only with your um, with the civilian lives mm-hmm. in the um, in you know, the respective cities, all right, but you're playing with the officers' lives and their families' lives and stuff like that because this all affects everyone. Right. It affects everyone. And wouldn't you say that it's probably less expensive to prevent situations than it is to fix it in the, on the back? Thousand percent. Thousand percent. It's preventative medicine. That's all it is. You know, if, uh, you know, if everyone can go out out there, right, and either talk to a therapist or just take, take some of these uh, techniques, stress reduction techniques that I've learned. Right. And that we're teaching through the resiliency program, right? Such as prayer, such as meditation, journal writing, okay, controlled breathing, stuff like that. Um, your stress drops tremendously. Drops tremendously. Ever since I started implementing this at the beginning of the year, right? My stress has dropped tremendously. Right. Um, and I would say, you know, I will say this that you know, they say 2020 was everyone's worst year, right? Because of COVID and all, all, all the civil unrest in the city and stuff in the, in the country rather for me, right. I was able to take full advantage of that because it didn't bother me because it was like, Oh my God, like the world's like falling apart. I'm like, well, I was used to this for the past 38 years because my life was all falling apart. Mm-hmm. Right. My life was one big disaster. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this, it didn't phase me as much. Right. I knew how to prepare for it. Right. And the other thing that it gave me do, it gave me time because the gyms were closed. Right. Everything was closed. Right. And we were on a modified work schedule. Okay. Um, I, I went, you know, one thing I mentioned earlier that I like the outdoors. I went back out to the outdoors. Right. I went fly fishing. I took a fly fishing and that's what I would do every single day. And you want to talk about a grounding exercise. Right. Oh my God. Stay, go stand in the middle of the river for a couple hours and just, you know, cast your fly rod a couple times. There it's is great. Something really special about being outside. This past week, yes. my wife and I went up to up to Ricketts Glen State Park in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and 
it, it's a beautiful, beautiful park. It has like 20 some waterfalls and it was a pretty stressful, I mean, really it wasn't stressful, but it was intense hike because it was raining and it was wet and it was slippery. And, but mm-hmm. man, the, the, the thing it does to your brain is to be outside, to hear the gentle water, you know, as it's falling, exactly. to, to walk through the leaves, to, to see mm-hmm. the nature around us was just so peaceful. Yeah. And even though there was, you know, a bunch of people out there because, you know, it's it's this beautiful place, it was still an amazing experience. And I think more and more people need to get outside. Yes. Bring some that that natural world into our brains. Yes. I think it does something to help rewire the brain. No, you know, a thousand percent because, you know, we're all we're all addicted to, you know, our cell phones. Yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, video games and stuff like that. Like, you know, I got I got two two young boys, ages five and three. They don't know what a video game is. They don't know what a video game console is, right? They're constantly outside every single day, right? Oh. I got them. I got them running around with me, you know, uh, dressed up in old camo, like like they're going hunting, right? <laughs> I mean, they they love to be outside from six o'clock in the morning until time is for dinner. They're outside, mm-hmm. all right, and and they love it. Uh, but you're right; it, it does bring. It, there is something about being outside that just calms you down. You know, some of the things that you talked about earlier about breathing and prayer and meditation and journaling, I'm hearing this over and over again from people like you who are training others in resiliency and in wellness. And it's a recurring theme that I think that needs to be emphasized, you know, more broadly to all of our first responder communities that these things work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're evidence of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, trust me, I'm not a, um, uh, you know, I'm not sitting there hitting yoga poses and stuff while I'm meditating. I'm just sitting in a chair, right? And um, in a quiet room and I'm just alone with my thoughts and that's all I'm doing. And what it's given me the opportunity to do is process that trauma that I may have seen that day, right? Um, and by journaling, it gives me the opportunity to write down my thoughts, right? So that, you know what? It may be six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, I can go back and look at that and be like, wow, what was I thinking today on, on uh, you know, on uh, November 13th? What was I thinking today, right? Um, and uh, it, it, it just it, the act of putting thoughts down on paper itself, right? It's, it's free, right? And um, that's why so many people like write books and are authors and stuff like that. Um, and that's what I started doing. Also, I started, uh, you know, writing um, articles for magazines, right? And uh, one of the ones I just just wrote was, uh, it was basically based around why it's so hard for us to raise our hand and ask for help. Okay, you know, because when I was 17 years old, I raised my right hand and was sworn in as a uh, cadet at West Point, right? You know, actually as a cadet candidate at the, at the at West Point Prep School down in Fort Monmouth. And I was raised my hand to serve and protect the United States of America uh, against all enemies, foreign and domestic, okay? Willing to give my life for this country, mm. right? And I've done that numerous times throughout my, throughout my you know, career, okay? If I'm raising my hand, to give my life for a total stranger. Why is it so hard for me to raise my hand to save my own life? Hmm. Right. And the answer is this, it's ego. Hmm. 
right? Because we don't want to be perceived as being weak, right? And the biggest thing that I had to do in my recovery was check my ego at the door. Would you say it takes more brawn and strength and willpower to raise your hand and say, hey, I need help than it does to ignore it? Yes. And the reason is this, because you're, you're actually in touch with your feelings at that point in time. All right. You know, it's okay to be emotional, right? It's okay to feel we're human. Okay. We're not robots, right? As you know, contrary to what they may teach you in the police academy, you know, to, to act like robots, you're not. Okay. You have to think for your own, you have to think for yourself. And, um, and that's what I did. I actually recently spoke to, um, a class of recruits and I told them these things, right? Because they're going to be the first ones who are going to go through this resiliency program. Okay. And it really needs to change at the recruit level, right? It needs to be indoctrinated to them as recruits Mm -hmm. to say, listen, the days of you sucking it up, driving on, right, are over. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you feel, if you don't feel right, talk to someone. Mm-hmm. All right. Because if you don't, not only are you doing yourself an injustice, but you're, you know, affecting those around you. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're going to be the weakest link. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my biggest things. And that's what I felt so guilty about is when I was going through all this stuff, to, you know, um, in 2018, I was still operating on the SWAT team. Okay. I was operating on like 60%. My brain was not there. Okay. But I was able to do the job. But let me tell you something. It wasn't there. I wasn't as sharp as I should have been. Okay. And I owe an apology to my teammates for that. You know, I need to make amends to them for that because that wasn't me. You know, um, so it, we need to, especially because, you know, as cops, right, every day is our Super Bowl, hmm. right? Because we don't know mm-hmm. when, you know, when the big game might kick off, mm-hmm. right? So we have to prepare for every day that's our Super Bowl. And we have to have a clear mind every single day. And you're going out and dealing <laughs> with the public's worst day, right? Yes. So every call that you go on is very likely that person's worst day. Yes. So if you're not healthy, if you're not at the point where you're taking have taken care of your mind and your body and your spirit mm-hmm. and everything, you can't give it all to help that person through their worst day. Yes, agreed. You know, and that's why like what I like to do is, you know, before I, you know, I get in my car, I drive to my office. Before I get into my office, I'll put my car in park and I'll sit there. And what I'll do is I'll do uh, this breathing technique, right? It's called four, seven, eight breathing. And what I'll do is I'll breathe deep in through my nose. Everything's going through your nose. Breathe deep from my, from my chest, from my diaphragm for four seconds, hold for seven seconds, right? Exhale for eight seconds, right? Do that six times, right? Breathe it in through your nose, out through your nose, right? And you will feel your heart rate drop, you will feel your body just become calmer, right? And that's and that's how I start my day off every single day when I go into work, right? And if throughout the day I feel myself getting a little stressed, right, I'll go into an empty office room or something like that, and I'll just do that just to regulate myself and bring myself back down, mm-hmm. right? It's self awareness because you need to know when you're when you're um, you know getting out of control or getting out of whack, mm-hmm. right? You need to bring yourself back to center. 
If you could go back to that first day at the academy, what would you say to yourself? Uh, which academy? The police academy? Police academy. Yeah. What I say to myself, I, that was an interesting day for us all because first day to police academy, what would I say? I would say um, a lot of it, like a lot of the stuff, um, it's good to know. Right. But some, a lot of stuff is, um, you're hardly ever going to need it in your career. You know, um, there's some things that depending upon your job, I I should say, but like, you know, the one thing I wish they had was the, was the resiliency training. Right. You know, because I say, I say like this in New Jersey. Okay. We have to train, we have to be proficient in our firearms twice a year. Okay. We have to qualify twice a year. And um, some officers go through their whole career without even drawing their gun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whereas, and we teach firearms, we teach tactics, we teach all that stuff, which is great. Trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm back in my SWAT team, I'm a SWAT guy, I'm a tactics guy, I love that stuff. Big firearms guy. Right. But all that stuff is useless if the mechanism isn't clear. Okay, so they need to teach those things as well, right? In order for the rest of the other things to work properly or, or work even better. Mm-hmm. All right, and um, it's it's something that I learned, unfortunately, you know, um, on the job. But I learned that, you know, because uh, you know I had my own incidents and stuff like that. But uh, you know, better late than never. Right. I still got uh, still got many years left in my career that when I can. You were in the middle of your the, the mess. Mm-hmm. Were you aware of perhaps other people around you who were kind of in the same in the same boat? No, no, I was, I wasn't even aware of anyone else around me, whether it be in the same boat or not. Right. I was I had told I had, you know, the, the blinders on. I was just worried about Brad and only Brad, you know, I was selfish. I was self-centered. I didn't give a shit about anyone else or, or even, you know, um, notice anyone else. Right. It was all about me. Mm-hmm. You know, when, it, when did you, in, in, uh, in the various treatment things that you went through, when did you get to the point where you, you realized, man, I've really come a long way. I've, 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 you know, messed up a lot of things. And, and, and when did you have clarity on the path forward? When did I have clarity on the path forward? Um, it was this. It was June 1st, 2020, right? And it was because I did something that I n- normally would have never done. And that is, um, especially given the circumstances that I was in, you know, my, my wife and my two kids were living almost an hour away. They were renting a house. Um, I was living on my own. Um, I went and bought them a house. I never, ever would have done that. I never would have done that because of the way my brain functioned prior to that. 
I was full of anger and resentment. Okay. Now it's more like, what can I do for you to help you out? Whereas before it was, what can you do for me? Right. And when I got my, when I got my, when I bought, when I finally closed on a house, my wife said something to me. She said, goes, she goes, thank you. I go, thank you for what? Thank you for buying a house. I know. I thank you for signing for the house. I know it was a, uh, I know it was difficult for you. I go, no, it wasn't. I go, all I'm doing is the next right thing. Right. And a husband takes care of his wife and takes care of his children, takes care of his family. And that's what I'm doing. I wouldn't have thought, I wouldn't have thought like that a year ago. A year ago would have still been, you know, you know, go pound salt, honestly. And um, my outlook is totally different. You know, now um, I have a tremendous amount of gratitude in my life. I thank God every single day for waking up. Whereas before I did not want to wake up. You know, um, I am thankful for, um, for having a, a healthy family, right? Uh, especially in today's climate with, with COVID and everything else that's going on. I'm very thankful and grateful that they, they're, they're alive and well and healthy. Um, I'm thankful for having a job because let me tell you something, about a year ago, it was in question of whether or not I was still going to have a job and be able to provide for my family. And the last one is I'm grateful that I'm sober today. And that's due to the grace of God, right? Because he could take that from me at any minute. Right. And all I got to do, and I realize that as long as I keep doing his will and not imposing my will onto people, right. Things are a heck of a lot easier. Life is much simpler, right? It's not hard. It's not complicated. It's not stressful, right? It's basically you're going with the flow, right? Worry about the things that you can control, worry about your own actions, your own reactions, and the rest is easy. So what would you say to that person, that cop, that maybe a young cop, maybe a veteran, who is where you were a year ago? What should their first step be? Maybe they don't have a leader who cares or who understands. Well, I mean, if they, if they have, you know, especially if they're, if they're in New Jersey, you know, um, I think they can reach out to me, right? Because uh, I'm able to go work around the entire state and help out guys, right? I'll get you, I'll get them in the right, right direction, right program. Um, but reach out to, reach out to someone, um, whether it be, you know, uh, I wouldn't, you know, a friend, okay. Anyone, right. There, there's numerous, 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 numerous 1-800 hotlines that you can contact, right. Um, to talk to someone, you know, cop, the cop, uh, cop line, stuff like that. Blue help. You know, there's uh, uh, a bunch of them that you, you reach out to and they're going to point you in the right direction, right? You're not just going to be another number calling. You're going to be, they're going to treat you like a brother or sister because that's what you are to them, right? Because they, they don't want to see you, you know, they don't want to see you go down the wrong path, right? And try, there's a lot of other cops just like me who, who want to do the same thing, who want to help out others, right? Because uh, I don't want people to have to go through what I went through, right? I don't want them to have to, to deal with all the bullshit and, you know, losing everything, right? And having to rebuild again. But you know what? I'm very, very thankful and very grateful that I went through it because I wouldn't be where I'm at today. 
So if you could stand in front of the chiefs of America and you could talk to them, what would you say to them? I would say that the, the days of sucking it up and driving on, you know, pulling yourself up at a bootstraps, um, there's a time and place for that, right? But you need to be understanding. You need to be compassionate. You need to, to gain empathy, right, for these officers because it it's gonna do it's gonna do you and your organization no good if you don't go out and support them. Because all it's gonna do is create a climate full of fear, right? And um, because guys aren't gonna wanna raise their hand, guys and girls aren't gonna wanna raise their hand for fear of losing their job. So what you need to do is if you talk openly about it, right? Because the more we talk about things, okay, the less taboo it come, becomes, right? The more it's addressed, right? Um, and that's why, you know, uh, uh, podcasts like this, you know, and uh, there's multiple podcasts that are, that are doing the same thing. Is they're just talking about it to get the word out there, and that's what needs to happen. The chiefs need to to make it known that they are behind this, right? To reassure their subordinates, say, hey, "Listen, we got your back. God forbid something happens, right?" Because at the end of the day, us as law enforcement, we are like we are investments. Our organizations have invested a lot of money in us, right? And I look at it like this. I look at it as this, if we are high-performing sports cars, okay? They, drop, they pay a lot of money for us, to, for us to be where we're at, okay? With the uniforms, the training, on-the-job training, all, everything else, right? Equipment. So if you're owning that car and you blow your transmission, okay? Are you going to throw that car away? No, you're going to take it to the garage. You're going to take it to the mechanic. And you're going to get it fixed. You're going to drop a new transmission in it. You're going to test drive it. You're going to make sure it drives well, drives well. And you're going to return it to the owner, hmm. right? As good as new, okay? Hmm. It's the same thing with us. If you realize that some one of your subordinates is going through some problems, okay, stop. Take them to the mechanic. Take them to the therapist. Send them to rehab. Get them the programs they need in order so they, that they can be the best version of themselves that they can be, mm-hmm. right? Because if they're not, they're only doing a disservice to themselves and to your organization. Mm-hmm. And if you do the maintenance on that car. Exactly. Change the oil. Change the yeah, exactly. Oil, it's yep. less expensive. You won't exactly. have those problems that you're going to have. Exactly. That, that yeah. preventative maintenance. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah, it it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Brad, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and hearing your story. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for for helping to end the stigma. I'm wearing the shirt today. Uh, Let's end the stigma of 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 raising your hand and asking for help. Let's let's Mm -hmm. make it that that let's make it the norm for first responders to say, you know what. I need to, I need some help. I need to, uh, I need to go check myself into rehab or I need to, you know, get the help that I need. Let's mm-hmm. make that the norm so that we can have healthy people serving our communities and keeping our communities healthy and safe. And 
I want to say thank you for sharing. Thank you for the work you're doing over in New Jersey. And uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Uh, if they want to reach out, uh, you got my contact info. Um, they can reach out to you and just and, uh, forward, them, forward them on to me. Sure. Right. And, yeah. uh, you can just send me an email if you want, and I'll put this uh, email address up on the screen here. Send an email to Conrad at conjostudios.com. And I'll make sure Brad gets the information and, and you can reach out through that way. Brad, thank you for coming on to First Responder Friday today. Thank you for your service to our country and to your communities and uh, for, the, for the work you're doing. And congratulations on just your sobriety and uh, moving forward with your life in this way. Thank you, Conrad. I appreciate it. Also, thank you very much for what you're doing. You know, you're bringing awareness to this, uh, to this problem in law enforcement, the First Responder community. And uh, you know, you're doing a great job of it. And thank you very much for your, your support and continued support first responders out there. Absolutely. My pleasure. You have been listening to the First Responder Friday podcast. My name is Conrad Weaver. I'm your host for the program. Thanks so much for taking time to listen to the program today. For more information about First Responder Friday and our PTSD 911 documentary, please visit us on Facebook at PTSD 911 Movie. Or you can visit our website at ptsd911movie.com where you can see all about our film and the people behind it. I encourage you to go there and check it out. You can also watch these interviews live on video at our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. And you can see all the previous shows on our website at ptsd911movie.com. And be sure to follow us on all the social channels on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at PTSD911Movie. Thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on First Responder Friday.